0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. In the beginning, God made everything and it was good. Our fellowship with Him was very good. But our rebellion shattered every relationship. Our sin brought the curse of death. We can see that things are not the way they are supposed to be. Our world is broken. We long for our redemption. 2,000 years ago Jesus came into our world He lived and died and rose again before returning to His Father's right hand Soon, Jesus will return and every eye will see Him the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb slain for sinners who overcame, and he will make all things new. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.
1: Let's go together in our Bibles this morning. We're going to Revelation chapter 4. We began our study in these two chapters. This scene of heaven. Heaven's throne. We began this last Sunday, and God willing, we will conclude with uh, chapter 5 next Sunday on the Lord's Day. Here we see the Apostle John is given a divine vision. A perspective from heaven's view. From God the Creator. Who is the sustainer of everyone and everything? He's sovereign over every molecule. Do you believe that this morning? God has given to John a vision and he is looking into the future. He's looking at the things that are, the things that are taking place, the past, present, and future. And he is coming from the view of the highest throne that ever was and ever will be. It's a major transition that happens when we went from chapter 1 to the address, the seven churches receiving the letters in chapters 2 and 3, and then after this. Follow along there in your Bibles. Revelation 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal." And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, read it with me, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created this is the word of the lord amen as we unpack this this morning we looked into this last week what did john encounter in his vision of heaven and we saw this in verse one that he he heard a sound and it was a sound of welcome it was an out of this world invitation that he received and So we get the outline of John's vision and he sees an open door and he hears a familiar voice and then he gets the unfolding events that are taking place. I will show you what what must take place after this. So with the highest authority and with absolute certainty, this vision welcomes the Apostle John into a place that he had no right to be in and neither do you and neither do I. But it's through Christ. Then he sees a scene of wonder. This is a vision beyond explanation. We saw this in verses 2 to 7 and on into 8 a little bit. Immediately, at once, He was in the Spirit and thereby He was able to view this vision and He saw a throne, the center of heaven and everything else. And there was one seated on a throne. That throne was standing. It was fixed. One seated on a throne, that God is sovereign there. And all around the throne there's this description of splendor and glory and majesty. And, and from the throne is, is this lightning, and there's peals of thunder. It's absolutely mesmerizing and terrifying at the same time. There's 24 thrones occupied by the 24 elders, and there they are before and around the throne. There's these creatures, these four glorious and powerful living creatures that we'll look more closely at in our study today. There's nothing man-centered about John's vision of God's throne. There are so many messages being delivered from pulpits today that are man-centered Here's four tips for your life. Here's four tips for your marriage. Here's four tips. Try to do this. Do better on that. Do better on the other. And it's just every week is like a motivational speech that someone uses this book to give to people. And it leaves us feeling often more and more defeated that, well, there's four more things I'm not doing. We need to know who God is, who I am in Christ, and what he is doing in me. And that is by, fueled by the Holy Spirit, the power that I need to live a life that is pleasing to him that I can't do on my own. So we see this vision, it's completely God-centered. Maybe you have been to some funerals. I've been to a few. I think I've given almost 80 funerals in ministry. It's a whole lot more funerals than weddings. Here's some of the strangest things, and I know people mean well at funerals. Some of the strangest things that people come up with to say in attempts to honor their loved ones. Words that are often meant to help but I just wonder, where did that come from? Where did you get that? Where, where did you come up with what you said? Did you hear somebody say that? And you're going with that? There's very strange things. What about you? What do you believe happens the moment that your heart stops beating? What do you believe about life after death? What do you believe because it will govern over how you live your life? In John's vision of heaven There's no view of grandpa fishing. You you catch this? There's no view here of grandma cooking. That favorite pie that you loved, or whatever else. There's no great uncles drinking near the keg, and they're partying up in heaven. You've heard it, haven't you? Watching football whatever it was that they really liked on earth, and it gets skewed that heaven is just earth on steroids. It's just earth more powerful and more centered around you. Did you catch that in Revelation 4? Everything in heaven is centered around God. And it will reorient our lives. If we allow it to, all of those things that are said that people just pick up and they wing, it's nonsense. And it crushes my heart. But then I know this when I'm able to stand up and say, let's open the Word of God. Now we've moved into a different realm. Now we're not just winging screensavers. Bumper stickers. We're going to something that we can build our lives on. And it's the rock of Christ. Hebrews 12, verse 28. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming kingdom fire this is who our god is so this throne the throne room of revelation 4 and 5 it's the center and source of all things that god reigns over everyone and everything everywhere in all time and all god's people said amen Amen. okay so as we see this now we look and we tune our ears to a symphony of worship This is the only response that is appropriate to this God who is so great and so glorious. It's a symphony of worship. Unbridled adoration. What thought do you give in the times when we gather to worship? Isn't it easy to be distracted by things around us, by people around us, by maybe the customs or ways that we were brought up or the style of music that you were brought up with or all of these different things and we have all these distractions going through our minds. This made me think of the the Old Testament account when David comes in with the ark of the Lord and he is overjoyed because he tried his way and Uzzah died. So the Ark of the Covenant sat out in the far country for a while until the word was open and he got the instructions back right. Let's do this God's way and bring the priests. They carry this. So when he comes in leading the procession in the city, 2 Samuel 6.21, and his wife looks out, Michael looks out and she sees her husband, the king, dancing and she is disgusted by him. She's embarrassed by him. She's appalled by him. She's like, this is demeaning. You're the king, and you're out there dancing before the ark of the Lord. And this is David's response to her. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house, your brothers, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. Men? Come on now, right? I will celebrate before the Lord in verse 22. That bothered you, Michael? I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. Next verse says she never had children. said, I'm not worshiping you. I don't care what you think. What I know is that God chose me. And what I know is somebody died when I disobeyed God and He forgave. And he, His presence is coming symbolized in that art, back into the city. And He is graciously here with us. I don't care what you think. I'm worshiping Him, not you. I think that's an appropriate response to this vision that we have from John of the throne room of heaven. Look again at the scene. We looked at it last week, the differences of these four living creatures. One like a a lion, this is the seraphim around the throne. One like an ox, one like a man, one like an eagle in flight. Here God's majesty is displayed, these guardians of the court. There's detail that we see now in our text today, each of them with six wings. And this record matches what we read in Isaiah. There there are six wings. Four of their wings were devoted to worship. Two wings devoted to activity. I'm I'm wondering, do we have that right? A lot of times, it'd be five wings. I'm doing for the Lord. I'm doing, I'm serving, I'm working, I'm working. And barely do we have time to sit and just be in the presence of the Lord and open his word and meditate on his word because we're busy after all. There's so much to be done. I don't know if I'm preaching to you or not, but I sure am preaching to me. All right, you're welcome to just listen in. All right? Man, that was, I hope Wise was listening to his sermon today. <laughs> Isaiah 6.2, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. Cannot look upon the holiness of God. With two he covered his feet. All right, That's embarrassing. Like, that's, the, that's the imagery given there, is, is Uncovered feet in the presence of this. We can't do that. You know, I'm covered in his presence. And with two, now they're on activity around the throne. There's activity there of worship. Each of them we see in Revelation 4 with eyes all around and within. That these glorious beings, they're not God, but they're guardians there of the throne. And so they have this realm, this marvelous realm of knowledge and perception and then we see what they're doing, their delight. It's not out of obligation. Their delight is around the throne of these creatures that they never cease to worship. Night and day, right? Day and night, let incense rise. And you repeat it again to actually put that in our thought that it, this is going on, this is ongoing around the throne because he's worthy these Seraphim, these four creatures, will be involved in the coming judgments throughout the great tribulation. So let the observation begin. Listen, pay attention here to the content. Of God-centered worship. And that's where we will focus our attention this morning. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what is being communicated in heaven and around the throne. And we start to get into the first hymn. And in in Revelation 4, Revelation 5, there are five hymns. Hymn number one is offered unceasingly by the four living creatures. Night and day, day and night. When is that? This is all the time. Nonstop. Well, what are they saying to the one who is seated on the throne, to Him? They're saying, God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. Now, I know you only got one blank on your paper there, but you might want to write it down triplicate. Holy, holy, holy. Not once, not twice, but emphatically three times. In the Hebrew, double is emphasis. Triplicate is infinite. Infinite. There's a point here that God is entirely without sin and completely separated from sinners. This is the white-hot holiness of God. A book I would recommend to you, The Holiness of God, R.C. Sproul. Listen to what he said. I think these lectures that he gave are also online. This is really kind of one of the key things that he was known for. He says it this way. He says, only once in sacred Scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not merely that he is holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, love, love. The Bible never says that God is mercy, mercy, mercy. The Bible never says that God is wrath, 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 but it does say that He is holy, 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 that the whole earth is filled with His glory. Like this is where we want to pause and say, whoa, Thomas Watson said it this way, holiness is the most sparkling jewel of His crown. It's the name by which God is known. We see this even back in Isaiah 6, verse 3. We read this last Sunday. I want to read it again. And one, and this is of the seraphim, one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. His glory is displayed in his hand. Leviticus 11.45, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy. Why? For I am holy. It's who I am. Psalm 99.3, let them praise your great and awesome name. Well, what's his name? holy is he he's the holy one psalm 111 nine, holy and awesome is his name it's who he is it's his name first peter 1:16, peter makes the application to the church since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy you ever amazed at how much children look like their parents That's not by accident, you know. The Lord did that on purpose and not for us to look like our parents. He's saying, who do you look like? Do you look like the Holy One? Do you see that working out in your life? Or do you look like what he said to the religious enemies that he had? You're you're of your father the devil. That's why you do what he does. You lie. Who do you resemble? Written in 1826. 1826 almost 200 years ago, a minister in England England directly from Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, holy, holy. All the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, which wert and art and evermore shall be holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee. Most people don't, they don't care about Revelation 4 this morning. They care about the lions. They don't care about Revelation 4. Am I right or am I wrong? They care about their job, they care about their future, they care about their health, but they don't care about Revelation 4. The darkness. And love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, Jesus said. The darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see only thou art holy there is none beside thee perfect in power and love and purity holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea holy, holy, holy merciful and mighty God in three persons blessed Trinity God is omnipotent he's holy he's omnipotent he is the Lord God almighty he is glorious in power He's infinite in power. There's no one stronger. There's no one greater than our God. There's none like our God. He is omnipotent. And you and I are not. Right? You try to shovel that heavy snow when it falls and it's wet. You realize, I am not omnipotent. I have a limited stamina here. Deuteronomy 26.8 And the Lord brought us out of Egypt. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. That's his arm. That's just his arm. He just brought us out of Egypt, that mighty nation. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You will never find God doing this in the middle of the game, trying to catch his breath. That's me. All right. You'll find me doing that if I run up and down the court a couple times. Then I'm grabbing my shorts, sitting there, hanging on, hang on. I'm trying to catch my breath. I'm about to pass out. That is not our God. Isaiah 59:1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Huh? What'd you say? Not our God. God is omnipotent. God is eternal. This is what they're saying. He's the one who was and is and is to come. His eternality is repeated three times in this section and we just learned that means something. Don't miss it. He is without beginning. He is without end. We read this in Revelation 1.4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is present, who was past, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. He's eternal. Well, what are they doing? These four, the seraphim the these creatures, what are they doing for the one who lives forever and ever? First of all, they're giving glory. All right, the word for glory is doxa, all right? It's where we get the word doxology. The idea is that you evaluate rightly the worth of someone or something. All right, we, we got into trouble when assessors were going around, you know, in the last decade assessing how much you need the house to be worth. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's worth X number, and then give them the loan for that they can get in the house. But was it really worth that? No. They were making a false assessment. A doxology is making a right assessment. Do we live for our glory or do we live for God's glory? That's a question we need to think about. Do I live for my name or do I live for God's name? Well, how do I know that, Pastor? How easily do you get offended? What does it take for you to get bothered at someone? That'll tell us. Am I living for my name or am I living for his name? Doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Right? It's the doxology. It's a a proper assigning of value. He's worthy, worthy, worthy. And they're giving not only glory, but they're giving honor. Now, the Greek word for honor is me time. That when you honor someone, when you value someone, you actually want to be with them. You give them time. We should honor the Lord with our time, with our talents, with our treasure, all, all that He's given to us, entrusted to us. Proverbs 3 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. We, we honor the Lord, we give honor to Him. You, know, you say, well, do I honor the Lord? Well, just look through your, your, your budget. Look through your spending. Look through your giving. Look through your calendar, your schedule. How Where's the Lord factor in all that he has entrusted to me? Isaiah eight thirteen, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Reverence him. Don't dishonor him. Loved one's... How important it is, is it for you to be with the ones you love? Let's start there. When you're with loved ones, are you really with them? Have you ever been with someone and you're in a conversation with them, and in just the past and, but they don't have time for you. They're not really looking at you. They're not with you. They're there. I, I was with you. No, you weren't with me. You were maybe on your phone. You weren't with me. What is it? It's giving honor to someone when you're there with them and you're looking at them and you're engaging with them. I have to evaluate this. Time is limited. So part of my evaluation is what do people do with the time that I give to them? Are they listening and do they apply what I'm pouring into their life or do they let it go in one ear and out the other? I only have so much time. So I'm looking for those who would be discipled who will hear and keep and put into practice because I only have one life and it's moving. Right? So is yours. Thinking about this truth caused me to think about what what is the time that I'm giving to the Lord just quiet and alone with the Lord or just getting active and busy and planning and there's there's a lot going on. There's a lot to be done but still it's important to abide in me, Jesus said. For without me, you can do, I don't care who you are. You can't do anything. I want to choose the option that Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. And there's Martha over there huffing, puffing. Come on, we're busy. We're working. What are you doing? Martha, she chose the appropriate and the better thing, is to simply be here. I mean, Martha could have gone to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, here's some, some stuff. Could you just make dinner? I'm going to hang out with you. Right? Jesus did that. What do you got? What do we got? Five loaves and two fish. All right, sit everybody down. Let's eat. There's Martha in the kitchen, blowing and going. You know what she was doing, huffing, puffing, giving the stink eye to Mary. She's sitting in there, and I'm working in here. You know she was banging dishes. Come on, Lord. Don't you love me? We laugh, but I think that's probably because we can see ourselves in one of those two individuals, maybe both of them at times. They're giving thanks. They're giving thanks. Eucharista is the word. It's where we get the word Eucharist. Thankfulness is a key for followers of Jesus Christ. You ever tried to argue with someone who's just filled with gratitude? Ah, oh, thank you so much for pointing that out. You know, you messed up. Thank you so much for letting me know about that. Okay. No, you really messed up. I know, I'm really sorry. Thank you so much for How do you argue with that person? I'm just so thankful for the Lord for you. Can I give you a hug? No, I I wanted to fight some more. I wanted to argue about this. This I'm just so grateful to God. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Yeah, it really says whatever you do. Whatever you do. Word or deed. Well, that leads us to the second hymn in verses 10 and 11. And this is offered responsibly, but now we started out with a quartet, right? The four. Now we're to 24. And these are the elders. So it's, it's magnifying. This, this worship is intensifying, it's growing. Well, what are they doing before Him who is seated on the throne? First of all, we see they're falling down. We see their posture. They're falling down before Him. This is the first of six times we'll see these elders fall down down prostrate before the throne. They are not preoccupied with their own glory, but with God's. They're not preoccupied with their position they're even unnamed as far as us knowing exactly who they are. Are we okay with that? You okay with serving and no one ever knowing your name? No one ever saying thank you or sending you a thank you card and you just serve the Lord faithfully in whatever ministry? You know there are people serving right now in infants and toddlers and kids? They just serve. It's not always easy. And they serve. Why are they doing that? Because they're not concerned about their own glory, but about the Lord's. They're falling down. It's a display of humility and devotion. And I'm just wondering, have you come to the place in your life where you have fallen down before the Lord, where you've humbled yourself before the Lord, and you've said, you're king, not me? Confessing Christ as Lord. Luke 18 and verse 13, we see where this happened when Jesus said, The tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Can you you see what's happening there? Jesus is talking about there's the, the Pharisee in there, and he's standing before everybody. He's exalted before everybody. Lord, I thank thee that I'm and he starts looking around at the other people in worship. Not like this guy over here. Yeah, you. You know, look at me when I'm talking to you. He's he's just praying, Jesus said, with himself. But this guy over here, he's convicted about his sin. He's not making excuses anymore. His mouth is shut. As far as justifying, I'm not that bad, I'm better than the other people, I try hard. All that self-righteousness, works works righteousness is is done. He's dispensing with that, and he's saying, have mercy on me. What is that saying? If you tell the judge, have mercy, you're admitting guilt. Have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Have you ever said that? Hey God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, and I need a savior because the Lord can save that person. But the person who says, I thank thee that I'm not like other people. I try really hard. I think I'll be good. I think I'll make it to heaven. I've not done this. I've not done that. We won't talk about the other things. We'll leave those off. That person is trying to save themselves, and you can't, because it's all borrowed from God. So you have to, and so do I. I have to have the Savior that God provided, the sinless Lamb of God, does this characterize our own perspective of worship? They're falling down. Like, Do you think about what other people around you are in worship and you're singing, does it matter what they're doing or are you concentrating on the one that we are worshiping and the truth that we are proclaiming? Whether someone claps or lifts their hands or whether they might sit down and say, I just need to take this in and I just need to think on this a little bit. Would that bother you if they, if they maybe knelt down? I know there's not a lot of room. But when you're thinking about in these songs and maybe you're driving home or you listen to the message again and, and you're thinking about night and day, day and night, let praises, let incense rise. And that begins to instruct your heart, Lord, that's what I want my life to be incense to you praise to you glorious to you they're falling down what else are they doing they're casting their crowns before the throne these are these have been given to them by the lord and there they are they're like this is in mine you've given it to me but we we cast them down before you lord you're worthy i wonder what the lord has given to you what talents, what abilities, what treasure, how much time has he given to you and how then do you regard it? Do you regard what he's given to you as owner or steward? It's mine. That's owner. But it's not really yours. It was all given to you. You came into this world with the same thing everybody else did, skin. Right? Nothing else. And you and I will leave with what? Nada. Nothing. Nothing. Okay, accept what we invest into eternity and we give to the Lord. (laughs) That bears fruit for all eternity. So how do you view your time, your talent, your treasure? How do you view it? Mine, that's ownership. And the Lord has to yet work on our hearts in that regard. But stewardship is, Lord, it's all yours and you've entrusted it to me. So like Joseph, Lord, help me to be faithful with everything that's put into my hand. No matter what happens, let me honor you. Let me use it all for your glory. What are they saying? The 24 elders to the one who lives forever and ever, they are saying that God is worthy. That He is worthy not only for what He has done. Easily in our prayers, we can focus on the Lord. Thank you for you did this. Thank you for that. You did the other. But they're focusing on who He is. Now in the first century... These churches, as they get this letter, and they hear this, John's using words that they were familiar with because when the Roman emperor would come into town, they would hear that, that, that shouted out, Axios, worthy, worthy. And he would come in following the banner and the whole entourage. During the reign of Emperor Domitian, he added, to worthy are you, he added, our Lord and God. Say that when I come to your town. It's not good enough to just say, worthy are you. Add to it our Lord and God. And so here are these seven churches, and they're in the, immersed in this Roman culture, in the Roman Empire, and now they're receiving through John the vision of heaven's throne. Here's the one that reigns over every emperor that will come and live and reign and die and you won't see him again. Over everyone and everything is the one who is worthy, worthy, worthy are you, our Lord and our God. Do you belong to him? Have you cried this out to the Lord? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? You are Lord and God, but it says you are our Lord. And our God, is he your Lord? Well, my dad, you know, served in the church. My dad was a pastor. My dad was a missionary. My mom was this, but but is he your Lord? You've heard the message week after week for how many times, but have you come to the place where you have bowed down your life before him? And confess Jesus as your Lord. You are our Lord and you are our God. You are worthy to receive all glory and honor and power. You deserve the highest praise. I love that song, highest praise. You're worthy of it all glory, doxa, honor, time, power, dunamis. It's a Greek word that means strength, ability, or might. It all belongs to the Lord, it's all His. Every ability that we can put a sentence together is the Lord giving it to me, And it's not guaranteed that I can make a sentence work next week. I was struggling a little bit on Friday night putting sentence together, just words were what am I saying? You know We were just cracking up around the table, but I'm not guaranteed every, every ounce of our ability to intellectual ability, physical ability, it is all borrowed from the Lord. It's not intrinsic to me. God is the creator. He's worthy. He's creator. They say, for you created everything. Well, if you created it, who does it belong to? It's yours. I made it. Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen, right here, seen, was not made out of things that are visible. That out of nothing, God created everything by his word, Colossians 1.16. For by him, Paul says, I attribute it all to Jesus, God's agent of creation, the deity of Christ, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and to him, for him. We're just saying that today. From you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. So when we look at this vision And we see all that is being said in heaven. We see that God is creator and God is sovereign. That's where they end. And by or because of your will, they existed and were created. God is entirely free to do whatever he pleases and all that he chooses. Let me say that again. God is entirely free to do whatever he pleases whenever he chooses, however he wants to. I wonder how that sits with you. We're going to talk about this when we get into small groups. How does that sit that you are not in control that God is? And it doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. He is sovereign and in control. He is, the Bible says, working all things together for our good and for his glory. Romans 8.28 for believers, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Isaiah 64:8 says he's the potter and we're the clay and it uses that analogy. At what point does the clay ever shout out to the potter, "What are you doing? I don't want to be a pot. I want to be a cup. I want to be a saucer. I want to be a plate. You're messing up here." You ever prayed prayers like that? Lord, what are you doing? I think you're messing up. That's why that was given in the Old Testament, because that's where we are often. Lord, don't you want to run your plans by me first? About that last election, Lord, can we talk about that? About this over here or that over there? Lord, you know my email address and my phone number. And we laugh right now that maybe it's an uncomfortable laugh because we actually find ourselves in those places the next time we turn the news on or the next time we get the news feed or the next time we're talking to somebody that we love and the diagnosis is not what we want and we find ourselves saying, Lord, are you sure? Is this this really your plan? And so we have to go back and we have to preach the truth to our hearts again. God is God and I'm not. Ephesians 1.11, Paul says that in him, in Christ, we have an, obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works, read it with me, all things according to the counsel of his will. Let's do that again. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So I know you love me, so much and I love you so much, God never calls me for advice. I need his perspective and so do you. And when I can't figure out what he's doing, I'm to trust his character, I'm to trust his word. I go back to the Psalms and pray those Psalms. And there are a lot of Psalms that don't resolve like a sitcom where it all worked out and it's all wonderful at the end. There are Psalms that are filled with pain and sorrow and grief mixed in with worship and adoration and thanksgiving and trust. That's where we live, loved ones. We're not promised heaven here on earth in that way. So then what do we do with all this? Well, let's live. Live for the spread of God-centered worship. See, it's all going somewhere. Once we step through that door of heaven, we can't be the same after that. So we look into heaven, we listen to what's being said, listen to the content, and then there is an expectation that this will change us. How we live will change. Live for the spread of God-centered worship, which all comes to fruition in chapter 5 in the Lamb of God slain for sinners in Jesus Christ. So what is it going to look like if you and I live for the spread of God-centered worship? like we see here in Revelation 4. Well, you and I are going to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, not seek first our kingdom. So there's some questions that we can ask to reflect on this. Am I giving God the honor and glory and thanks he deserves? Or am I holding back? Does the song of my life sing to God or does it sing to me or someone or something else? Seek first the kingdom of God. And then we can strive together for holiness. That chief jewel of God's character. Holy, holy, holy. That'll transform the plans we're making, the thoughts we're thinking, our goals that we're setting. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God. Strive together for holiness If we're going to live for God-centered worship, then it actually leads us to another level, and that is we're going to share the gospel invitation locally and globally. We're going to share the gospel invitation here and around the world. And we're in process of doing this, loved ones. The God's plan for the spread of the gospel is His church. It's you and me. He's not sending the seraphim to send the message. He's not sending the 24 elders. They would do such a better job where I work. Yeah? He put you there, child of God. And he's given you his spirit. And you have his word. And that's all you need. Trust him. Step forward. Spread the gospel. Together we're on mission. The invitation is to be given everywhere. We should be left in awe and wonder at this vision. And then we should spend our lives, spend our lives for the glory of the Son, Jesus our Savior. Paul said it this way. And with this, uh, I just bring this all to a close. Our desire in studying Revelation isn't just to become you know, theological juggernaut so we can argue. I've said this and I'm going to keep saying it. Because it's going to be a temptation in small groups to wander down Bypath Meadow and just get into debates. That's not why we're going through Revelation. The point is, is that we respond with what Paul said, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Well, how are we transformed? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Studying this Revelation 4 and 5 and on through, it will change our minds, and that will change our lives. Will you stand with me? Worship team, you come, and we're going to respond in singing, singing truth. And I want to encourage you, I want to invite you today to take the next step of surrender. What has God given to you, loved ones, that you might be tempted to hold back, but maybe after looking into Revelation 4, today you will say, Lord, I'm giving it to you. You can have it, my life, my family. What what is it? My future. I'm giving it to you, Lord. Use me and use what you have given to me for your glory. And I won't live for my name anymore. I'll live for your name. And that's taking a small little kingdom and exchanging it for a kingdom without end. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that changes us. You are, and Jesus taught us to pray in this manner, you're our Father and you are in heaven and you reign and you are glorious and you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, hallowed be your name. Lord, we pray that your kingdom will come. We pray that your will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. And we desperately need you to forgive us our debts, our trespasses, our sins, Lord, and make us and remake us to be those who forgive the trespasses of all who step against us and sin against us, Lord. And lead us not into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil. Lord, yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory, both now and forevermore. And we respond not with just the words from our lips of our mouths, but God, hear our prayer and our desire to respond to you with our very lives for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray.
0: love